Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host on Talk Design. I started this podcast because I wanted to share the journey of design that I've had and that many others have had. And I find it inspirational talking to people globally about what makes design tick and what makes design create a better world for others. My journey has taken me from clothing globally, women's swimwear, performance sportswear, mountaineering, yachting, all these kind of genres where each place I would learn more and more about different specifics and how clothing can support those. Also, I've worked in innovation as a systematic innovation trainer and worked with the aerospace industry as well as the marketing industry and the design industry. And all my years of design, still my favorite is the built structure and interiors and years of travel and discovery, I constantly look at what the emotions are that are created by the built space. I consider myself a student of design for my whole life and will go on that way. Some of the things that I do to support this is my podcast and then workshops and masterclasses where I teach people about trends and design thinking and tours where I take people on tour with me and we go and discover different points of architecture or interior design globally. I always think that when you're passionate about something, one of the things that you should do is is you should share it. And so creating the podcast was my way of sharing my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others and their passions around design with you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I ask you, would you please drop us a line? Tell us what you think. Tell us what got you excited. It's so inspiring when we get messages from our listeners that tell us about the things that shifted in their life because of who they listened to. And it gives me the inspiration to dig deeper and find more people that I can bring to your ears so that you live a better design life. My guest on Talk Design today is Alan Barley. Now, Alan is a partner, a founding partner of Barley Pfeiffer Architects in Austin, Texas. And I had the pleasure of meeting Alan recently at Texas Society of Architects Conference, which was held in the hill country around Texas. Anyway, we had a great time, met up, looked at some of his work and what he was doing in his sketchbook more than anything. And I already knew some of his work because another friend of mine had worked with the firm earlier on. But I want to tell you a little bit about the firm as well. So Alan and Peter met back in the 80s. And around 89, they actually formed a company together. And they have some very, very similar values around what they believe architecture should be and how it honours and, and works with the land and with the environment. And remains green like so we're talking back in the late 80s 
the piece that they were hanging their hat on a lot was sustainability and green building and being able to do buildings that a met the environmental need met the client's need but also was sustainable looking forward and right it was a Probably not brand new at that time, but it certainly would have been interesting for companies to hang their hat on it at that time. That's you right. Know? It was it was it was at the front end of it. Yeah, it absolutely. Big. Yeah, you were you were innovating. Well, innovators or early adopters of that movement. So, welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's cool, man. And we've just had a little chat before we started recording, and. So many little things I've learned from just that chat alone, which we will pass on because I will ask more of those questions. Okay. So primarily you guys work with houses. That's your sort of like primary sort of. Well, we we started out there, but I would say about half and half now from doing other types of, of, of projects. We do a lot of amenity centers now. Oh, okay. There's one of the one of the largest home builders of the company. One of their their offices are out of San Antonio, and we help them with their amenity centers on the subdivisions that they build for houses. Uh-huh. So we take the same guiding principles of, of site specific design, specific design, working with the winds and topography, and apply that to the clubhouses and to the amenity centers that have meeting rooms and gyms. Uh-huh. And pool houses for them, and and we've we've done many of those. It's an ongoing project for us, and we we feel very honored and and blessed to be able to be working with this company. And then we we do other. We did a a Lost Pines Arts Center in Bastrop, Texas, which is uh-huh. about a ten thousand square foot two story building that housed an art foundation there and, and classrooms and and outside. There were several big grain silos that got turned into various types of shops like a steel shop i think oh. they, they have a running glass studio in one of them right now and, and one of them was eventually going to be turned into an apartment so we, we do a lot of smaller what we call boutique office type buildings yeah five ten thousand square feet we have two or three of those in design i think one starting construction right now and then the amenity centers it's a broad range, but we've always done houses. We've always done remodels. We've always tried to keep the idea in mind that architects are unique because you know, I, I like to say architects are, are somewhat prophetic. I'll go out as far as to say, because we, we can see things before they happen. We can <laughs> go out onto a job site and, and there won't be anything out there. But if we have an idea of this this problem that this client is trying to solve with what they want to put on that piece of property, we can sometimes see how it might end up being. We we, we see things before they happen. And then the other unique thing about architects, because we deal with infrastructure, you know, we're one of the Uh few, uh, we can then, once we see that vision, so to speak, of, of what might be on that property, we then are able to chart out the course to systematically and logically start with nothing because that project doesn't exist at that moment and then chart out and put together the instruction book, the instruction manuals, so to speak, Uh on how to turn it from nothing into reality and then manage the cost and manage all the pieces along the way. 
it's kind of like maybe the 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 idea of the the architect builder back in the 1800s and the 1900s where the architect was really almost like a master builder yes and they still so, do that in germany they still do right. that in germany they have right. what they would call a master builder and I, i've got a, a friend here in australia who's a german master builder and that is revered as highly as any architectural degree because right. they they learn every part of the construction as well as the building as sorry as well as the architectural process so they're looking at it from the land up and right, right. they if, if, from on, on every every element of it it's fascinating like well, it's one of the only places so, that do that well and so we we've built so we we've built our practice out of that sort of direction and focus and because of that, we we do many different types of projects, and as I said, houses and remodels, and we we do a lot of consulting. Peter and I, we we always have felt like because we, we can kind of see what could be mm-hmm. that we want to be able to provide those services to as many people as possible. And sometimes we're just going out and and, and doing an hour or two hour site visit at a house or on a piece of property, and meet with somebody just to give them sort of the idea of what could be, what's possible, what this might become. And I, I often with times will go out there with my roll of yellow trace paper uh-huh. and I'll carry a tape measure with me and I'll have my my sketchbook and my pens. And many times Peter is talking about the things that we do. And then I'll go out and do a quick rough measurement of this section that this a part of the house that the client wants to mm-hmm. remodel. Then we can have some real time sketching and discussing about what could be and it it helps people and sometimes those those sketches that i usually will leave with the client sometimes they never go beyond that but most often they end up turning into jobs and and we're we're, but on a very basic level we're getting to show people what it really is architects do Mm -hmm. and how they can be, be be a benefit to help people really live their life better yeah, you see, yeah. you see how the architecture. You, you know, there's, there's a lives. There's a thing about well, the way I think about architecture is that the the building is almost secondary. Okay, mm-hmm. it's it's like I'll go into a story here where you know we, my wife and I came off of, of recently two years ago, eight years of of taking care of, of parents. Okay, and uh-huh. having them live with me, and I I only bring that up because we we had the uh, the fortunate experience of being able to see two pass away at the house and one start the the process on the way to the hospital and we were able to be there with my parents as they 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 transitioned and the thing that I got out of that and watching that happen and being there especially with my mom when we were holding her Mm -hmm. my wife and I because she was bedridden and couldn't really take care of fend for herself there is a spirit in a person that when they pass away, something happens to that person and the life goes out of them. And they're, they're really just at that point, a body with, with no life or spirit in it. Okay. Mm. And I got to thinking one day, well, I think buildings are kind of like that too. Buildings, if there isn't people in them, a building, no matter how grand it is, how extravagant, the, it's, it's an empty box. Yeah. And it doesn't have any life. But what gives a building the life are the lives of the people living in the building. It's the spirits of those people living and inhabiting that that 
that that structure and that breeds life in, into the work and I, I think that makes the work valid so you know we we really as architects I, I like to think that we help people write the story of their lives they come to us and we might come in on the front end of the book and help them start the write the table of contents and the chapters yep. and with other, other and for some clients we might be with them all the way through the book. Yeah. And others, we might come at the tail end. I have a few that were, were, were writing the, the story of the last chapters of their life. Yeah. And that's the house that they, they want to end, end their days in. So we, but in the end, with all these people, and whether they're houses or whether they're buildings, it isn't about us, it's about them. And, and so it's the people that breathe the life into these projects it's it's really the people that i i feel like are the heart of the architecture they're, they're the ones that make the architecture valid and I, I like what frank Harmon said and you you may remember the the quote i think it was at the comments after after all the tours when they were just winding down and you know it was that informal time at the end of a conference where the speakers get to kind of you know shake off the formality and just kind of talk Mm-hmm. and have a good time and he said you should never take any photographs of your of your buildings without people in it <laughs> you know and i i had my sketchbook out and i i wrote a whole page of what i call zingers they're they're quotes when i'm listening to people talk that they're they're things they say that immediately without yep. me having to think too much reson- resonate just lands yeah they just land and i'm writing them down and he said that and i thought man what a profound comment that I s- was i so 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 agree i mean there is architecture that's i suppose built without the purpose of or created without the purpose of people inhabiting it you know like it might be in big industrial buildings and things like that or where it's you know i imagine something like one of amazon's you know fulfillment centers where it's all robotic and stuff very few people but when you put a person when you design something you're designing it with people in mind and you know everything's designed with even a robotic building is designed with people in mind because there'll be people who operate in it but then go to homes where it's really intimately designed with people in mind or even office buildings and things like that, where again, it's really intimately designed with people in mind. And we we see, you know, hundreds of architectural photos, but very few with people in them. And one of the things that I love to ask them to do in my photos is I want somebody who's moving through, I want them to be a ghost. So I want them not to be, visible i want them to be ghosted in that picture and right. i think it adds so much so much for me i'm not worried about everybody else in this one particularly but for me it adds so much truth to how we designed it with the people that were sitting across the table in front of us in mind and their right. family their extended families their friends we we had all those discussions about this house tomorrow and this house in 10 years and or this house in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, if, if it's forever. And then what will become of it once it's, once they've gone? Oh, well, um, I've got thoughts about that too. Well, you know, it's, it's, that's right. The people are the, what I, 
they validate the work. Yeah, because it it, it it really is for for you and for 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 us. It, it, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to be asked to come into somebody's life and, and basically shape the space that they're going to create memories of a lifetime. It sounds mm-hmm. a little corny, but really, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, these folks oftentimes are, are going to have children bring home newborn babies into this space. They're going to be raising kids. They're going to be living out their lives. The kids are going to go to school. There are going to be proms and friends and birthday parties. And then oftentimes down the end, these are where this, the folks are going to figure out how to start negotiating the latter years of their life. Yeah. And in some cases, the, the their last breaths will be taken care, be taken in these houses. Well, that's a that's a profound charge if you really think about it. And you want to do you want to do a responsible job that oh. solves various needs, but also helps to enhance and provide excitement and and direction and and durability mm-hmm. for these folks that are going to be into these projects. That's how I like to look at it. So I, I like to think that really I, I've got to think more about people. Mm. Than, than the building. And so how how are people interacting and experiencing and managing and, and taking care of the space? And then that's where the arc, that's one of the main elements of how the architecture should respond to, of course. And, and then there's the other part of how the architecture does to should respond. It's, it's the site. Yeah. Okay? Because, <laughs> you know, I, I like, and I may have, I've told you about this, Adrian. I have this idea. You know, architects are we're we're big idea people. We're idea people. Okay, like you said, I I, I thought that we're inherently prophetic because we see solutions. We can look out on the side and begin to see solutions, see almost foretelling in a way. Mm-hmm. But you know, we we we're always we're big idea people, and we're creatives, and we often have strong ideas about how things could could be because we see things about how things work together efficiently, very clearly. Those things are very evident to us and, and maybe not as much to other folks, but it's... it's I was going to uh, say... How, how we, we're wired. Yeah, we see, we say that and then you look at the mess that is made with so much architecture and you wonder how many people are so site-specific or not. I, I often well, look at how, and maybe that's, you know, development, maybe it's a lot of things. I, I spoke to one of my very early podcasts was Jeffrey Dungan. And I don't know whether you know Jeffrey, but from Alabama. And anyway, Jeffrey said to me, I said to him something like, and I can't remember exactly, but something like, you must have some great projects or something to that effect. And he said, yeah, I do. He said, I'm not looking for great projects. And I was like, that kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. He said, I'm looking for great people because right. with great people come great projects. And it was, that was like being hit by a truck by, for me. I went, mm-hmm. I've always been hunting for great projects and on the lookout for great projects. And I went, you know, this is when he said it, it was like, Oh my God, I've been asking, you know, essentially for the wrong thing. Right. I just, where are the great people? Where are the great that's people? A, that's, one, that's one of those zingers that resonated with you. 
<laughs> and I, I I do that. And when you're talking the same thing, it's like, you know, like like saying about Frank Harmon with the people in it and then talking through this thing where, you know, you go to a site and Jeffrey Dungan said this other thing to me. There was a lot of things he said that actually resonated so well. He said, you know, we stand there and the building really builds itself in front of us. And he said, our job is, is to take, you know, boxes and fill them with light and air. And he said, you know, it, it, it all just sort of pops up out of the ground. And I went, isn't that the truth? Isn't that just, that's what happens to me. And I love being in, I love renovations as well, because you right. take something that's already exists and then different people's habits or different constraints in their family or the way they behave or what they might need. The, right. the the building you get to and, and we've evolved goodness you think of how much we've evolved in our behaviors in the last 30 years or 50 years it's it's traumatic Things have changed, yes yeah and different we're types of houses yeah very different you know and different needs from those houses and you look at this and you go i have this one part that says well the most sustainable house is the one that's already built that's one kind of thing that I go. So that that means I go, well, often we've, we, we don't have to knock it down and start again. We can work with what it's got and we can reconfigure it and we can make it work for somebody new. But we're talking about this family. And when you were saying about chapters and books, I was the same. I go, so this is often trying to establish whether we're talking about the home as a chapter or whether it's the book. Right. And, you know, the chapter may be, they might say, look, we're going to be in here for the next five years, or we're going to be here for about the next 10 years. This is what's happening with our schooling. And I was at one right. yesterday and they said, look, around eight years would be about our plan because then we want to move to this spot. And I was like, yeah, okay. So what will happen in the dynamic of you and your family and your children in those eight years that we need to support here? And then who's going to buy this after you? So when you sell this, who's coming next? Right. And it's 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 thinking about their story and and yeah. how we can we can understand the story enough to be able to to do. I was I was at a small firm's roundtable talk mm -hmm. where we were talking about oh, yeah. transition early just a couple hours ago. Peter and myself and our and our, our newest partner who's who's joined joined the leadership. And I was telling folks that there's two ways you can approach anything. One is to be proactive mm -hmm. and try to think about things and be able to do things in advance. Or the way most people approach the building of a house is more from a reactive mm -hmm. point of view. Is that and then the house becomes one crisis or another after they after they start <laughs> and, and so the proactive reactive is, is a thing and then I, I like to think that you were talking about remodels and how sometimes the best house best remodel is the one that that almost does the less i like to say that you look for the path of least resistance yeah. in a remodel and you try to identify what's there and how you can use what's there and what's been there to to make new the the living patterns of today but when we try to work with what's there and with where things are sitting and you tend to spend less money trying to recreate infrastructure that 
takes a lot of time and effort to do. You can do anything with enough money. Yes. But oh, part, I... of, part of sustainability, part of the path of least resistance is identifying what is the ease, what what wants to happen. Yeah. Okay. What is this, what is this house telling me about how it wants to be dealt with? It's like going back to a new house. Okay. So with with a new project, we like to know what the program of the client is going to be. Like, you know, wh- what type of house that they want to have. But then I also really, really believe the architects are, are big idea people, but I like to think that the best work gets done when we try to remove ourselves from trying to come up with the big idea. We go out to the site and we try to listen and try to read sort of like, you know, people that hunt, they're out in the, in the wilderness are looking for what they call sign. Yeah. They're looking for the sign of animal. We try to read the signs read the orientation and figure out how does this property want to be worked with? Where does it want to have a house? And mm-hmm. and so the big idea is, is looking at those cues from taking cues from the property. I think you mentioned it when we were talking about land whispering. Yes. And it's kind of, kind of what I, I feel like, at least I do. I, I go out there and I try to hear what this piece of property is telling me. And, 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 and there's different ways of hearing. You know, you, you look at patterns, you, you listen to the wind, you look, at, you know, one thing I like to look for is, is are any signs of, of tracks or trails of animals? Animal trails. You know, you know, we're, we're coming onto this property. None of us really own the land. Okay. We buy mm-hmm. it. We you know we spend money for it, but we really don't own it. We're, we're stewards of it, but in the end it's been there for thousands of years we're we're really guests on it, and we're actually latecomers to habitat on it too. There's yeah, all, very. All, all sorts of creatures, big and small, that live on that property. So, and then we come along, and we're just going to throw a house on it. Yeah, just so, just oh, change a part of it forever. Right, so change it, change a part. So I like to look, go on, and listen, and and feel like feel where that piece of property how it wants to be dealt with and where it wants to have a house on it and mm-hmm. try to tread lightly on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the big idea, you know, again, architects are great. We're creatives. We come up with big ideas, but I want to pull myself out of the ideal process and try to identify and recognize the path of least resistance on how the needs of a client want to interface with the needs of the site and then my job is to identify how all those pieces work together in a symbiotic form where they're responding to the client's needs, it's responding to the site's needs, it's responding to the breezes, to the orientation, to the sun, to the topography, to views, to relationships, to the street, to neighbor, to septic, rainwater, all these different factors all play a part where a house should sit on a site and how rooms should be configured. And then I like to think that if we do it right, if we create the right type of house with the right type of overhangs, with the right orientation, then you know what? If the grid ever goes down, your house can perform well just by opening up the windows because we've eliminated all the direct sun coming in by by thinking smartly about where we place windows and where we put overhangs. So it's almost like taking cues from people that build houses out, you know, the boonies in, in your area and out yep. here in Texas yep. in the 1800s. Uh-huh. They didn't have air conditioning. Most people built their own houses. 
They knew where to put a house on a site. They knew the things to look for. They knew they needed to be near water. They were taking care of animals. They had horses, cows. They raised their own food. They butchered their own animals. They had chickens. They knew how to live sustainably without electricity. And so we can learn so much by going back and, and looking at the cues of these other houses to see how people were able to survive. And and I, I don't know about your area, but Central Texas, you know, we have 100 degree weather for uh-huh. weeks and, and, and months on end. And, and people knew how to deal with that. And, and the way they dealt with it here is that what do you do when you want to stay cool in 100 degree weather? You you get in the shade. Yeah, sure. You put a dog turd in. Well, you you so you 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 build this house like a, like it's under a big shading umbrella, but yeah, and then tr- but, try and create some on-site natural breezes by right, you know, like you, you you think about where where are people going to gather? This helps. This this is one of the one of those cues that helps you determine how you place rooms on a property. You want to identify where the breezes are, and hopefully the breezes are coming from the direction that the views are in. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ideally. most people like to walk into a building. And they like to look out as you walk into a house and you like to look out into a view. But you think about you want to put people gathering places on the breeze side of the house. Mm-hmm. You don't want to put people gathering places where the house is blocking the breezes. Yep. So sometimes you have to do that because you might have this million dollar view on the edge of a cliff and it's facing west, but the breezes are coming from the opposite direction. So you have you know, you try to work at making those areas comfortable. But if you have the choice, that's why I like to have clients before they end up, if 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 we can, before they finally sign on the dotted line for a piece of property. Oh, yeah. And let us help them evaluate the property so that we can look for these natural things that make living on a property much easier. If, yeah. you, if you start to work with the property and work with all these breezes, topography, solar orientation, you, you design a house that works hand in hand with the property. And when it works hand in hand, the house by design will be more comfortable to live in and it will consume less because yes. it's, it's, it's working with, not against. Most houses, you have to rely on gadgets to make a house energy efficient. It's like sustainability, green by, we call it green by gadgets. Green by gadgets, yeah. Green by gadgets. And I'd rather have a house green by design. I'd rather have the design of the house, the way it's situated on the property, the way we configure windows and overhangs and spaces, that if we needed to, we could open up the windows and it would make a, a a livable living environment as much as possible. I'm I'm a hundred percent like you. I go with most of my clients, and we don't get we get a different kind of heat where I am. <laughs> Obviously, there's the outback where they get that same heat, but where I am, it's a lot more subtropical, right? And so we get a lot more humidity. And when Very people, humid. yeah, when people say Austin's humid, I go, hmm, yeah, not so humid. It is, but not so humid. But with it, again, I try to design every home to have zero reliance on having to have air conditioning. Now, I get that some people won't be able to sleep and all the rest. So we we still put air conditioning in homes. Right, right. We still have AC. But what we want to be able to do is, is 
essentially waste the client's money on putting the AC in. And I say it that sort of tongue in cheek. I, I did a, a house quite a few years ago now, and I oriented it on a, the site was a urban block, but you know, we got good orientation out of the urban block and it's in a, a lovely spot. And I, I said to them, so, you know, with your air conditioning, you probably could just have this in your main bedroom and maybe choose one other public space that you could lock down if it's too hot and you don't necessarily need your whole house done. Anyway, they very, very proudly still tell people, the only time we ever use our air conditioning is just to heat the home. And I'm like, really? And, and they're like, we've had what we would call 40 degree days, which is like 100 degree days. We've had those here and the air conditioning's never gone on. We, because of the house, having that ability to cross breeze and get, it creates breeze just by the nature of the structure, it creates breeze. And where right. we position garden and water fountains and things like that so that it would have it would cool as it was being lived in yeah and they they've learned to live with it and when they open what you know when what what opens at what time and when they obviously you all get to do that when you live in a property you go oh well it's always cooler at this time of the year and so I keep these ones closed and these ones open but we have we have sort of in Australia more of a push, and I think you're getting it in America as well, a lot more push towards what we would call passive house, you, you know, passive house principles. And right. one of the things yeah, we're... Yeah, no, away from green by gadget, but yeah. green by design, which is really a passive house. It is. It, it, but with full passive house, you actually have to lock yourself in the house. You have to close it. In, you have to close yourself in. And we live in a climate where everybody wants to be able to throw all their doors open and walk backwards and forwards between their pool and their outdoor areas, and we want those shaded. Um, right. We have to have pool fencing. You guys don't. But with that, we're looking constantly at that body of, say, pool water, and we're saying, that's cooler water. What can we do with that water as it evaporates, how can we let it create a breeze so that it will follow through this way into the house so that we can use that coolness or planting and getting shade built from planting or you know shade created by planting? And then how can we let air flow through under that and right. bring yeah, that through channel, our, channel, our property? Channel breezes. Yeah. Well, you know, you uh, when, when you do houses like this, when they, they work uh, in, in close... So they work well with the site that they're sitting on and they're responding to all the features on it. You have a house that's, that's by design, uh, very comfortable living. And so then when you do have to put the inevitable mechanical system, because everybody in our climate, people are conditioned, you know, we're, yeah. it's, it's hot. It really is hot, you know, 110 uh -huh. degrees. It's pretty tough. You have to be pretty committed to natural <laughs> ventilation to live there. At 110. Uh, yeah, but, but, with these houses, because we basically design our houses where we're in our climate, it's all about what comes through the roof. Yes. So if we kind of do our houses like a like a big ice chest in a way with foam insulation and, and with a floating metal roof that uh, of a of a design that my partner developed way back, where the metal roof floats above the roof deck. And it's a great design. We've used it, you know, for many years now. And it, it makes the all the venting of the metal roof happen outside the thermal envelope of the house. 
I love that. So, so you have a you have this this it's like a shading umbrella over the roof. So when you use these things and you calculate overhang depths to deal with around mm-hmm. the house to deal with the sun from the different faces, you have a house that doesn't require as much air conditioning. Yeah, yeah. So it's you much can put mechanical. in a smaller you can put in a smaller unit, mm-hmm. which means it's lower first cost. It's not having to work as hard. And it's saving the client money. And when the cost of a house is not really what it costs to build it, it's the cost of what it takes to build it and to operate it over the length of time the client's in that. That's the really the real cost of the house, which can be many more times the cost of actually building it. So everywhere we can build in design efficiencies into the design that makes the 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 exterior wear longer, reduces the consumption of the house, but then enhances and and enhances the, the function and the life and the health of people. Ultimately, you have a house that that is going to be lived in a long time. Many of our clients come to us and and they're in their their forties maybe, and they say, "This I want this house to be the last house that I do. I want to I want to yeah. grow old in this house." So we're talking about. 30, maybe 40 years. And then they're, then they would say, well, we want to pass this house on or it's on a, it's on a big piece of property. We, we want to pass, pass it on. So, so, you know, you think about how all these things want to work together and the less mechanical things that could go wrong mm-hmm. means that the easier it is, it's going to be to operate and maintain this house for, for this client. Because in the end, as, as we discussed you know, it's, it's the architecture, the the house, the building is the backdrop. We, we'd like that backdrop to be seamless for the clients to be able to live out their lives and create the things that they want to create with their lives, all the memories, all the experiences, but then do it efficiently and do it with a high degree of health. You know, that it's healthy to live in this house, that we're bringing in natural light that isn't direct sunlight, but we're bringing in reflected light. We're making those spaces filled with light where we have enough of a, we're doing tight houses that allow us to to control the air coming in so that the air is clean to breathe. Yeah. We're thinking about materials so they don't off gas. Yeah. Many of our houses are, are net zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're so efficient that we can, with a, with a small solar system, we can almost get down to self-sufficient self-sufficiency with with these houses and besides also doing rainwater systems where the the house gets all of its water needs from collecting it off the roofs and depositing in big tanks all all these things make for a house that works works better for its occupants occupants and and in the end what's that and the planet and well yes it's 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 a it's a sort of a immediate and then a bigger has an immediate effect on that particular person on that particular site, but then there's a, a greater, larger effect across a much bigger group of people and environment to have these houses be houses that consume less. A hundred like, percent. Like Boy Scouts, there's a, there's a rule when you go camping, leave no trace. Mm-hmm. When you go into mm-hmm. some of these places, you know, that's really what we want to do. Mm-hmm. I've often said that again, that, you know, we're guests on the property. You know, what happens if, if, what happens when we're not there anymore? Yeah. yeah. Could there be a, a, a button that we press and the house kind of just dissolves in just the dissolve. <laughs> And so 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 that 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 scar, that that up up upheaval 
of the land that we do when we put a house on it. Okay. Yep. You know, we're digging, we're, yeah. we're, we're coming into habitat, but what if the houses could just, and I, I don't have the answer to that, but I, I just thought it's a cool idea that yeah. what if this house could just slowly self-destruct, not have to be disassembled, but all the material goes back to repopulating its footprint. It's original nature. footprint. Yeah. Yeah. Repopulating. So it's totally its organic. So it's, it's almost like could, could you have a house out of some sort of paper mache i see these 3d mm-hmm. printed houses mm-hmm. the, the yeah like icon do yeah yeah and well, what if you were able to open up a, a spigot and fill it with water and then that material starts to dissolve and eventually the house there's no house there just and just it's, all goes and, back animals and trees and, and you know it's, a, it's the ashes. It's a fun idea to think about. It is, isn't it? It's the ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It, it's full cycle, and it's it, light, it, yeah, it's, it leaves it's no cycle. trace. Yeah, it leaves no trace. It leaves no trace. So, you know, I, it, it, it's it's I love it's that. A great idea. We may we may not be able to get there, but so then, how can we? How can we in well, spirit do the same thing? If we if if we yes, if we're not going to get there then how can we do structures that have long, long, long lifespans? Like I was, uh, my brother-in-law sent me a picture last night just through Messenger, sent me a picture, and it was of a house that was, or actually it was a, I say a house, it was designed as a as a gatehouse type area thing for a road anyway. It was 647 years old. It's in France. It was 647 years old. And what was unique about it was it was sitting on like a cob wall on a a stone wall. So the actual, there was a very narrow stone base that ran northwest down, north, sorry, north-south down the length of the house. And then the house was all kind of, not cantilevered, but trussed off the side of that. Right. And so it was up above. So it was, but it was 600 and, you know, 76 years old or 47 years old. I can't remember exactly old. And so it's been standing all that time. And you go, if you can't build something that could last that time, then there's the other question, you know, like if we can make structures that will last that long then the core of them needs to be so well designed that multiple generations, families, uses can be made in in that same space over right. many millennium, you know, whatever it is. I think that's really, you know, another fascinating thing. We often end up with houses. I think in Australia, the house must, the standard is, is it must be able to stand, last for 50 years well, you think we've got something there that's, you know, say 600 years older than that. Sure. And it still probably functions fine. There'd be lots of things that it wouldn't do very well, but it would still, it's still a functional space. It still, it still provides a shelter. And, yeah. And, protects and, uh, and when you look at building costs these days, you go, right. um, either it's got to last Either it's got to get a lot cheaper to build it or it's got to, so we get more towards cheap and disposable as opposed to it's got to be lasting and sustainable. You know, it's got to, because of the cost of it. Hey, I want to talk about. Um, well, let, let me just, uh, that yeah, one go, point sorry. there is, yep. is, is in, 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 
along those same lines, uh, we we have this idea here that we, we want to, we like doing houses that uh, build smaller houses that live larger. Build and, small and but if, live larger. If we can, if, yes, if we can guide our clients, and we we take we 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 feel like it's our responsibility being the the experts in this business, which we consider ourselves as as experts mm-hmm. and hopefully trusted advisors for our clients, okay? But if, if we can figure out a way that they can do everything they want in less square footage, we've saved yep. money. Yep. We And if we can do it efficiently, we've saved money. We've saved resources. So this idea of, of guiding people to build smaller houses and live larger, I think needs to be one of the th- uh, trends that uh, folks start paying attention to. I love it. There's so many <laughs> things that, that 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 solves by by adhering to that, and uh, so it's it's one of the principles here. And you know, again, that all that all goes back to that idea of trying to make a house. Uh, you take the needs of a client, you look at mm-hmm. the needs of the site, mm-hmm. and then you come up. You recognize how all the pieces most efficiently go together, responding to the individual needs of each piece and where people want to be and the views and, and, and all of that. And then you come up with a project that really looks like it belongs there. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the place. Then it doesn't, the house isn't fighting against itself. It's not fighting against the property. It hopefully looks like it's always been there. I I've been playing around with ideas of, you know, houses that there are some type of earth sheltered houses that when you move back from them, you actually don't know they're there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it actually just looks like landscape and, and it's, it's kind of the earth sheltered house, but it's really even, even more so where there there's, there's just a, a visual harmony. Uh, harmony. Yes. A visual harmony and, and blending with the site of this building such that you feel like it's a part of the landscape. I mean, they, mm-hmm. these are a lot of these things are, are these are the things I want to keep trying to strive for. I'm I'm not there yet, but you know what? You, you have to start by being able to think these things and have the ideas, and then you figure out a way to to see if you can get there. I anyway. find I find the more often you have the idea like that, and the more you know energy you think about those things, all of a sudden, what happens is somebody else comes into your life that because you attract that they come into your life and they're looking for that as well. And then right. you, you, you end up getting to explore it with them and create it with them to do something. You know, often I will be talking about something in our studio and I'll go, yeah, we need a client who wants to do that. We we need a client that needs, that wants to do that, you know? And so we'll, we'll do some little sketches and, pull out some magazine pages and stuff and just stick them around and go, yeah, that's, we need a client who's going to do that. And then we wait for the client. Wait for the client. Somebody amazing turns up and we end up talking like you and I are. And then we go, well, we've got a synergy here that relates back to that. And away we go. Like like minds, like spirits all come together and and try to follow the same points. Yeah, I think so. Hey, I want to talk about hand sketching because sure, I love it for all the audience out there. I know you do. <laughs> Alan is prolific hand sketcher and across all kinds of different areas as well. Like he he might sketch you a 
you know, 1950s, 60s looking robot, but then he also will do a very detailed sort of sketch of a, a building or a piece of a building. And as I was lucky enough to be hanging out with him on Texas Society of Architects conference and looking at his sketchbooks, like he's he's carries them around and he carries his little bag with his tools of trade, I would say, in there and captures them. But each page is like, I want to say a comic book, and I don't, I, that probably downgrades it a little. Each page is designed with yes. headers and notations, and each piece is a design element. Nothing's put on the page by without forethought and without care and without a, a sense of symmetry and place. And it's just, they're joyful to look at. They're, they're really joyful to look at. And you go, it's like wandering through somebody's mind and their daily <laughs> That's tasks. a good way to put it. Yes, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> so please tell me about this fascination with hand sketching and tell me about, you know, you were saying to me earlier about in San Antonio, just drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing and just the practice of drawing and what it does and how that, informs you as an architect but also as a human well in back in back in school when i was as i said before i, I would get out of class around noon and i was i was already married i i just had a child and so i you know i had to work my first years in school and so i was able to i was lucky to have in that first semester a, a small program that that transferred into in San Antonio, that was designed to transfer in the University of Texas at that time, back back in in 1979. That that first class I took, the design class, I was lucky to have the, the one of the two gentlemen that ran that program, Fred Ludwig. Just just look at what I did, and you know, I didn't I didn't know that much. I'd taken drafting classes in high school and junior high, so I could do, you know, the the mechanical drawings, and I even did a quick, you know, sort of house plan type thing in in my senior year, but. You know, he saw the work and he said, you know, you, you have a you, you have an ability to do this stuff. So somebody was telling me, you know, that, I, you know, it looks like I this is stuff I could do. And I and that was what I needed to hear at that time, you know, that to help me have some direction. So he he helped me find a job with a large firm the, in, in town on on one of the busy commercial loops in San Antonio, a firm that had the top floor of, of two seven story buildings that they designed and. And 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 I I did all sorts of stuff, but you know I ran prints, I I did deliveries, I did a little drawing here and there, but I got to see going from no experience to seeing what a large how a large firm operated, yeah, a large commercial firm, which was a great experience to see see that sort of community there. But on the way to that job, and, and to others after after I got out of that one, I would go sit in front of a house. Because I really wanted to get better drawing, and I felt like you know there was a re- there was there, there would be a need to do that because it was it, it was I, I was big on trying to communicate ideas, and I felt like if I could communicate by drawing, I could make the ideas. Which sometimes it was easier to communicate with a drawing than it was to try and put it into words. So yeah. I would go. I would go out and find the San Antonio is full of really turn of the turn of the century, nineteen hundreds, nineteen tens, nineteen twenties homes and and communities right in downtown. So I would go drive out and sit in front of one, get out my lawn chair, and 
with a clipboard and and it and it wasn't even a sketchbook at that point. It was a clipboard with eight and a half eight and a half by eleven copy paper. Yep. I'd 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 draw with a felt tip pen. I'd I'd draw a sketch of a house, and I'd spend forty five minutes out there, and I'd I'd get most of it done, and then I'd I'd go on the work, and then come back and add detail and stuff, and and pretty soon after doing that for many months, I had. 30, 40 drawings of various areas and some of the downtown areas and some were houses and some were, were buildings and a few skylines. And some of those places actually ended up being chronicles of those buildings because they don't exist now. Wow. There, there was a, a, a an old amusement park called River Place down mm -hmm. on the south. And I did a drawing of its sign and, and the old entryway. And that now is something else, but that amusement park is not there. So doing those drawings, it was basically kind of a way of me practicing and teaching myself how to see and how to draw. And, you know, with, with ink drawing, it's, it's always a bit of angst for me <laughs> to, because, you know, you, you, you can lay out something in pencil, but eventually you got to start putting lines down on paper. Yeah, and, and, you know, depending on your state of mind, you're either, pretty confident at that moment or you put it off and so but one of the things about drawing an ink is there is an immediacy to it yep. so so you're you're working in the here and now and and i i found that to be a, a, a great practice to do and about that same time you know i started coming up at, at ut i was i did third year up in the ut the, all those drawings that i did helped me to to get me into the University of Texas third year program in architecture, and I met my business partner there, and and you know we that's that was the very formative uh, meetings that would become a firm several years later. But at that time, my my wife and my daughter still lived in San Antonio, so for third year, I would I would drive back to San Antonio every Friday. Yeah, wow. And every Monday morning, I would drive back to Austin. Yeah. And I had a bunch, we had a bunch of us from the little, the little college there in San Antonio that all got into UT School of Architecture. And we were all living together. Yep. And, and uh, your own frat house. Well, it was three or four guys and, you know, we were all trying to, you know, get through. Yeah. And, and, and we all got through and, you know, we all stayed together. But I was, I was thankful at that point. I had gravitated to working with a couple of architects, one in particular that, this gentleman is, is he's passed away unfortunately a while back. Joe Stubblefield is his name, and and he gave me a job on the weekends, and I think he just gave me a job so I could have work as I was going to college. So I, I would come, I would go get back to to San Antonio on Friday night, and after being in, in class all week, and I go up and work at his little office in a house in one of the old picturesque sections of San Antonio. Uh -huh. And and sometimes he would be meeting with clients there. So I'd sit with him at the table and, and he would pull out a big, fat, black Mont Blanc fountain pen yep. and, uh, and, and a roll of yellow trace paper. And he would start sketching out solutions in real time for the client. First time I'd ever seen that happen. And I saw him do that. And I saw him draw sketches upside down from the client's perspective. Oh, wow. And said, you know that is like the lights went off. I said, I wanted to learn how to do that. So, you know, I, I think thanks, thanks to Joe Stubblefield and Fred Ludwig, you know, those, those gentlemen there, they, they put in something in me that still exists here today. And, 
I'm still on that path to try to figure out, you know, how, how to get better at communicating and drawing. And it's like I, I mentioned to you a little bit earlier, this the life is, you know, I play, I, I'm a, I'm a long time guitar. guitarist. Yep. Okay. And, and the thing about guitar is that electric guitar specifically, I started playing in sixth, sixth grade. The, the, you, you have to earn your tone. Okay. You have to earn your sound. You just don't pick it up and start sounding good. The way you pick the string with the plastic pick, the way you fret the notes and the way your fingers compress on the strings, all those things affect the sound. And the better and the rounder, the more fuller the sound occurs over years of doing it. Okay. Yeah, years right. of doing it. And it's it's a it's actually one of these lifetime endeavors that you will never ever master it and you always will be a student. So, you know, drawing is kind of like that. There is always somebody out there who can just run circles around you, both both in drawing and, and, and even in architecture. Yeah. But you know yeah. what? That's just just the but they they show you these other people show you what could be. And they, I, they give you impetus to, to make yourself better. So but you do it by practicing. Mm-hmm. Like guitar, you, you earn that tone by playing that dang thing every day. And yeah. if you're busy, you you play it an hour a day. But, you know, that hour a day turns into weeks and turns into months and turns into a year. And then like me, you got four decades of playing of, that guitar of, of that. that and you, yeah. you've taken you're not really a prodigy, but you've spent the time in it to become a prodigy at what you know how to do. And we all can be prodigies at what we know how to do, what mm-hmm. we do best. We become the best at what we do by practicing. By practicing. So if you figure out a way to do what I call slotting, you slot. You slot the things you want to do into your life. And you find times that you can put these things into it. And if you're efficient, you can actually do a lot of stuff. You can get a lot done with your life if you if you don't try and do these big, grandiose drops of time but you take a little bit each day and you do it and then those snippets of time grow into bigger chunks of time and pretty soon you're mastering those things you've set out to do but it just takes time so drawing is like that and the sketchbook is a way you know i i draw at work i i design in front of clients i like to do real-time design in that I like to have after we go to the site, after we program the house with the client and find out their needs, then I like to come back. And oftentimes I'm sketching out on the property. We're holding out the I, I attach the the survey, the topography of the site on a piece of cardboard. And I'll walk out there and we'll start sketching right there on the site, sometimes with the table or sometimes on top of the car. And we'll try to start to and I, I, you know, Adrian, I, I can draw in scale now. I can draw in yes. quarter inch, inch and one to 10 and one to 20, pretty much without scales. So I can sit there and take a bubble diagram, which are just bubbles of how the room might fit, interact the rooms of the, that the client needs, how they might fit with the site. And then I can quickly turn them into something still freehand that looks like a floor plan. Uh-huh. So we're able, so while that's happening, we're standing on the property the client is helping me figure out the configuration, how these things get put on there. The site is telling me where they want to go. And so we have this kind of real-time problem-solving process that can go on. And then we come back to the office at some point and we, you know, we keep going Refining through Refining it. Yeah. Yeah. The clients get to see that stuff happening 
as it's happening. And I feel like they become more invested into the process when they feel like they're contributing in real time to helping direct the house that they're going to live in. And I would rather have them help me design their house than have me do it because I, it's, I think it's going to, at the end of the day, I want people to see them in this house, not me. I want them to see their personality, their names on it. I want that house to be a reflection of that person's character. I don't want them to see me. I want to get out of the way. So, so I, I, you know, I do a lot of drawing over the years and and there's been times when I haven't sketched a lot, but, yeah. but I, you know, because I, I'm drawing every day, I'm doing sketching on, on trace paper and, and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's my trade. It's what I do. I was at a boy scout camp with my son a while back in 2015, 2016. And I took a sketchbook with me and I took a, an, an adult leadership class by, by a very brilliant teacher who was just basically reinforcing the fact that the scouts teach leadership through the outdoors they yeah. teach yeah. young people to be leaders with through through the use of, of them being in the outdoors but he again did what i call there were zingers there were these profound statements about how about life and about living and about how you can do these things and as he was talking, I started getting back. To, I had my sketchbook. I was taking notes in it. And I started drawing and, and doing drawings of the things he was talking about. Or, or he's talking about a, a tent. So I would you know, draw a tent as, as, as part of the note-taking process. And I really got, got back to kind of, uh, and I've always had sketchbooks. But for some reason there, it made sense to quit taking notes on an iPhone or iPad or, or carry your laptop with you and you're sitting there tapping away in a meeting, taking notes, you know, get away from that and get back to making lines on paper. Yeah. Whether you're making lines on paper, writing notes or may, or, or making pictures that illustrate ideas or just, you know, drawing lines to set up a format or, or a way to, to take the notes, you're beginning to get back to that eye hand coordination of creating things in front of you than letting a machine create things for you. And, yeah. and I, I found that I could, I could take the sketchbook and I could begin to format a way that I could take a sort of ordered way of note taking and just keep it for everything in meetings. And, and we're talking about projects or, or ideas, just start taking notes and using drawings to help illustrate the ideas and so it got to where the sketchbook became an avenue for me to draw every day without really feeling like i had to stop and draw yeah it was again the idea of slotting this activity into something that was just a normal part of my day and so by doing that it eventually morphed into you know, as I drew, I wanted to draw more and I wanted to, I started looking for things to draw back to wanting to get back to the idea of, well, let me, let me try to really, again, take another, get better at this. Let me, let me do some more practice. So, so I started drawing things and I was drawing houses and from onsite and from photographs, just, just to have practice, just to find something to draw. But then I, I, you know, I, I love robots. 
especially you know yeah. Japanese toy robots from the sixties. From the yeah, the sixties robots. Yeah, the yeah. wind the wind up robots, and yeah. and and I'm also a big fan of you know the nineteen forties and fifties and sixties science science fiction, sci-fi, yeah, sort sort of classic science fiction. So you know, I I started drawing robots. And these toy robots, okay. and it, it, and and also comic books. I had a I had a class in third year at UT by by a very profound architect instructor, Michael Benedict, and hmm. I, I, I he taught a drawing class. He's also you know a great design teacher, one of the, one of the sought after ones at the University of Texas. But in that in that drawing class, he said, "I want you to draw a path." But I don't want the path to be something like you walk down the sidewalk. What if you walked through your refrigerator? How would that look? So draw a path of you walking. More like a more like a mountain in my case, but yeah. <laughs> but you know what? What what he was trying to do is get you to shift yeah. your, your point of, of reference to something that's totally different. Yeah. And and then, and then also he said, look at comic books and look at Spider-Man comics and look at the ways. They depict space. They're always coming up from some other angle. Yes, that that always. So see, I, so then I then I started thinking. Well, you know, I I can kind of, I have the ability to put myself wherever I want to put myself in space, and and I I just have to figure out how to draw it and how it might look, and, and I I started to like take a box and I would tumble the box, over and over and over again with a series of drawings, just little sketches, line diagrams, and I would practice. Here's a good one. Practice printing upside down and backwards, because when you start doing it pretty soon, you don't even think about it. And that way I can I, now I, I can sketch upside uh, down and backwards for clients. Down with, with clients. And, and, you know, I, sometimes I have to tell them what I'm doing because they don't. <laughs> doing yeah, it. because because they can't see it in the first moment but but it's yep. it's it's again it's all practice and it's it's training your mind to see more and it's affecting it's again it's like it's affecting eye hand coordination so the sketchbook started just to take notes in but then it got back to helping to fuel a love of drawing again which was really trying to to see things and draw the things that you see but then also to try to draw the things that you might not see in front of them, in front of yourself, but they're draw things that you might see in your mind. Yes, and, yes, and 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 not limited just to buildings. Yeah, but to to take other things, and all with the idea of every drawing. Like I think I said, there's a bit of angst with every drawing because you know you have to put kind the of pen on the it, paper, and then you have to draw it, and then you have to finish it. And, you know, you're, you're afraid, you know, you don't want to mess up somewhere along the way, but then if you do, you figure out a way to work around it. You find workarounds. I love, I love, you know, Michael Malone did the sketch of Old Faithful that was used in a couple of years back in the poster for Texas Society of Architects. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have it framed in the office. And with that picture, there is a piece where like he's drawing in pen and there's a piece where he kind of got himself out of kilter with it. Right. And then, and, and you can see it like, it's great. It's like, you can see it. And then you can see where he fixed it, how he fixed it along the way. And that's my most favorite piece of the picture. I mean, I love the picture anyway, but it, that's my most favorite piece of the picture because we've all been there. 
we've all drawn that piece sure, and gone, oh, sh- yeah, shit, we're, we're, we've caught ourselves at this point and now we've got to work our way back out of it. And it happens in design all the time. You you know, in design, you, you're working your way through and suddenly you go, oh, hold on, I've, I've got to... I've got to allow for this here, or I've got to add this here. And now I've got to rework everything that came before it or all the other parts that came around right. it. And, just, and just get after and do it. Yeah. And I love that rigor and design and, and drawing because drawing's so, I suppose, simple. The rigor and design of going, so what if I had to shift this to here? What if I, if, if this was a demand that was of the property or of the place or of the engineer because it's a renovation, you know, you can't move this or what if that was the case? How do I find my my solution? Where's my way through? You know, like what's possible? And and with the least, you said it before, you know, with the least amount of changes or the most restraint, the, the path of least resistance, how right. many, how can I attach attack that with, the path of least resistance. What's the simplest formula to get me out of this space that I'm in to where I need to go and still fill it with, you know, light and air and emotion and journey along the way. I I love your sketchbooks. One of the things that I want to do with our show notes on this is, is, is put some of your sketch pictures as well as some of your, you know, photograph work that's been photographed as we sure. present the, the podcast, I think that would be really lovely. I've got a I've oh. got a last question I want to ask you, okay. which is I've got two very favorite last questions, but I think I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask this one. I'm gonna go to the more emotional one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, either one, either one I think you'll have no problem answering. This one's a little bit of a journey though and it's something I love to do with clients, is so in your own home, where is your most favorite space in your house? Well, I have I have two. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, well, I really have one. It's the place that I go to when I want to sort of regenerate or regroup just re, you know, kind of reinvigorate myself. And it really is, you know, our, our, our king size bed that we have, you know, I live in an old house. I live in a house built in the thirties. Yeah. I've added on to it. Some, my bedroom is where, when I moved my parents in with us, they lived in my bedroom when we moved into the living room of the house. So both my parents lived out and passed their lives. They passed in that particular room. So the mm-hmm. room has deep meaning, deep mm-hmm. meaning, for that because of that process. But I, I have I have two double hung windows and they're the old single pane wood frame windows with the the weights and the and the the weights are they counterbalance off. weights on the side you know, and they the glass is open. so old that it's wavy because you know yeah. it's flowed over the it, years. It's it's floated but, glass. Yeah. And and my bed, the side that I sleep on sits right next to these two windows and I just look out into the yard. And I find that uh, that I like to just go there and, and lay back, kind of you know, semi prone, yeah, propped up on the headboard, and just look out those windows. And, and you know, and I and I made the comment to my wife the other day. I said, you know what, hun, this is where I'm going to die. This will be <laughs> the place where I take my last breath. And you know what? I said I would be happy with that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because although I, I I look I have we live in in a in Pflugerville, which is a little town sure. immediately adjacent to Austin. We there's a ten block section of the of the original town called Old Town, and so we live on a on a block with four houses, and I have a half acre. Right. So nice. uh, so I have a little bit of land around me, but you know the windows just look out into the into the yard and into this old ramshackle garage that I've got a. That if you touch it hard enough, it's going to fall over. <laughs> but but I've got to rebuild it. But you know what? I just look out into my yard and to the grass, and my wife has been spending the last several months now really populating the landscape the with trees and flowers and things. It, it's it isn't a grand view. It isn't something profound. It's just my yard, the grass, the trees. And this piece of property that, that I fell in love with 20 years ago when, when my wife and I first got married and we were about to have my, my second daughter, Ariel. But it just brings me peace. And it's a place to, to sort of reconnect and refocus and rebalance myself. So I find myself going there a lot throughout the day, just laying back, opening up the shades and just looking out the windows onto that simple little scene and getting a lot of strength for that and doing that. that so that's 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 really my favorite space in the house so when you i'll be i i can i'm going to make some assumptions here that space um regenerates your feeling as well as it brings a real peace and calmness to you and that peace and calmness brings you strength and if you were to go and build yourself a new home how would you replicate or not necessarily replicate what would you do to find or to create a space that did the same for you well i i think and that that's a great question and i you know i think i think as doing what i do you know that's that's a pretty easy answer okay mm-hmm. but I, but i think if i were to do it in a new house, I would want to have somewhere, I'd want to try to identify. So, you know, architecture to me is a very spiritual pursuit. I think you probably mm-hmm. have gathered. It's, yeah. it's just not, it isn't just about doing the work. It has deep spiritual implications and in, in, in my faith and what I believe in and how I, I want to yeah. live and conduct my life according to, to a, 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 a code of faith that, that I believe in. And so, so what I, what I would try to do is look for the area on the property where I feel like there's depth and meaning, something that speaks to me. And it it could be, you know, whatever, maybe it's looking out onto a grove of trees. Maybe it's looking Uh into a pool. Maybe I need to create some sort of a, sort of a waterfall water feature right there. But, you know, I would want to have that feature in the landscape. And, and in, in my house and my property that I live in now, it's just a simple yard with grass and trees and fences and things. It's normalcy, but it's it's my normalcy. Uh, and, uh, it's uncomplicated. It's that's right. Um, it, it, it's it's of nature. It it tells a story of not trying to overwhelm it or trying to change it. It's accepting it. It's got so many beautiful, I'm with you, it's just so many beautiful, harmonious pieces to it. 
and, and memories I raised yeah. you know, to my kids there. Yeah. And so I, I'd want to find that place on the property. I want to find the, 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 the profound places on, the, on, on simple properties, the simple spaces that say mm. profound things to you. Okay. Mm. And, and then I'd want to, I'd want to configure a space, an away space, uh, a meditation space, because I have a daily meditation time that I do every day in the morning. You, you know, I, I call it prayer. People call it meditation. People sure. call it doing yoga. Okay. Yeah. And I have, a, I have a place like that in my house that I go to too. And I, I do it every morning to center me and, and approach the day. So I try to find that place. And I think in, in, in this new house, because I'd have the opportunity to do it, I would combine the two places together. I'd combine, mm -hmm. combine that, that place where I, I can regenerate with my place where, where I, you know, I spend my, my meditation prayer time and I, I'd maybe try and put those in the same place and, and find how what I look out onto has that same feeling out onto the property too. Yeah. So I, I think we want to look for the land that we want to, that we're on and we want to look for those things that speak to us on that property. Those mm. things that just by walking around, they say there's something special about this space. There's something special. Something. How yeah. So, how it's, how it speaks to you as a human or how it feels and what that emotion it evokes in you. And, you know, I, I'm, I believe, you know, you walk around on any piece of land and whether this is actually a thing of science or whether it's just a thing of imagination. As you transition across land, it's like it has a vibrational energy that you can feel. It, it, some right. some pieces feel frenetic and other pieces feel calm. And right. when when you're looking at what the land's going to do or what you're going to do on the land, getting an, in touch with that feeling that each footstep of it gives you, you know, like, so as you, as you move around on it, I think informs so many different parts of whether that's where the building's going to be or whether it's definitely not where the building's going to be, you know, whether it's going to be you, you that piece is sacred to the point where you're going to use it in another way, or you're just going to let it be right, or, right, right. Or, or whatever it is. And, them finding a, a space when it's especially on acreage where you actually get that sense of calmness and harm and harmony, not necessarily beauty, but just calmness and harmony that the land is feeding back through you. And often that's going to be the spot where I want to site the house. Right. You're, you're looking for, I like to call it, you're looking for simple things that say profound things. Yeah, oh, I love that. I've, and, I'm, and, I'm on know, page four of notes here. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> so we we live our lives, and, and you know, you can we we're careful about where we want run electrical wiring around beds. Yeah, yeah. You can take you can take you know meters, and and you can measure yeah the electrical uh, sort of radiation coming from those those lines. So you know, uh -huh. there's many things that we interact with. We don't see. We know that there's radio waves. Uh -huh, we, know that there's we, don't we don't see them, but we know that they're there. So I feel like there's energy on property. And, and you know, you, you've heard of standing stones, right, uh -huh. in Europe? Yeah. Oftentimes, if, if I remember right, and I might be wrong, you know, don't fact check me, but those things were often laid out at points of energy. Uh -huh. uh, they, sometimes there was water. Sometimes there was subsurface water. 
we go camping at a place in Mar- outside of Marble Falls called Enchanted Rock. Uh-huh. And it's, it's a huge granite dome that they say, you know, emits sparks of light at night. But it's it's one of those sort of things like Sedona. Right. Uh, in Arizona, it's like a vortex area. So, you know, I, I think every piece of property has these things going on with it because it's the reason why life gravitates to it anyway, where you have animals being around because animals go to the places that they feel the safest. 100%. I think that they feel the safest at. So we look for those those simple places that, again, say profound things to it. And, and oftentimes, I kind of, when I'm walking around on a piece of property, I, I kind of drift away from the client for a while. And I'm kind of like <laughs> in a little bit of a daze because I'm just kind of feeling around. I, I I don't really have a focus. I'm not really going anywhere, but I'm just seeing if, if I have the flash, if I get the flash, if I get, yeah. get that, yeah. that, that, that snippet of something that tells me there's something here, there's something there, here. There, there's an idea here. There's an order to fit in right here. And my job is to kind of be receptive, to be able to, to hear those things and to receive those things. And, and you know, it doesn't always happen, but, no. When it when it does happen, it's amazing, and and then you you really feel like there's purpose to this structure that's going on in this property. There's a reason for it to be there. There's a reason for that client to be there. It, it's it's going to work together and be harmonious to make something better that wasn't yeah. there before. And, and in the end, the something better is 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 life is being created. Life is moving on. Families are living. Families are are doing the things. There's life going on on that property, and to to work in harmony with the life that's already there. And then somewhere down the line, as as with life, there's an ending. Yes. Yes. So so you want to also you want to also think about the ending and figure out if you can, what's going to happen at the ending. And and many times that, that property will, that structure will just move on. And, and then somebody else comes over and they begin to write their own story. Or the children continue the story of the parents. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and, and those are all great, but if, you know, for, and, and you know, I, I just have this idea in, if we're out in the country and we're on large pieces of land, it goes back to what would be the sort of the ultimate sustainability is to have dissolve a away and just dissolve land. away and, and provide habitat for, 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 for the animals and the native you, species you, and critters to come back and, and get, and get their land back. Can you imagine, you know, with the 3d printing type thing, like, like you were saying, so say, say for instance, used a very modern technology like 3d printing and, you know, when you get those, I'm trying to think what they are, but anyway, it's something I've seen my daughters have. You, you get something and it's infused with flower seeds and stuff. So imagine if right. you were to collect all different types of flora and fauna from that site. Yeah. That, so grass seeds and, you know, wildflowers and tree seeds and things like that. And you printed those into the structure as well. That's so right. in a hundred years or two hundred years, when that structure dissolves back into the into the land, there it regenerates itself with meadow, or regenerates itself 
back into what that land was when the house was first conceived. Well, the, the, the 3D con the, the stuff that they put, the concrete solution yep. or whatever the mortar is, is some sort of bio-interactive that, you know, you, you, I love that idea. You, you put, you, you plant the walls with yes. seeds that, yes. that they can then begin to, to grow with the yeah. walls and become, they, they start to be actually become the walls they of the become house. Become the nature. Yeah, they become the nature. It's it's back to you know designing a house to where when you move back you really don't see it because it's so intertwined or it's partially earth sheltered or what that that it it blends with the landscape and becomes one with the land mm. versus shouting mm. out at you. You know, mm. I like houses that when you when you're done with it, they look like they belong there, like they've always been there. They're not shouting out at you, but they're they're just gently beckoning to you. I, I love the idea of that. I think I've done more shouting out ones, though, unfortunately. We've <laughs> all done. We've all done that. <laughs> we've all been down that. So there, there's a there's a great there's a great story that maybe I can I can bring, and I, I don't know where this came from. So I, I I give props to whoever came up with it, but I should look for it sometime. And I guess I can say stuff like that, or where the story comes from. But you know, the, there's a. The saying that the young architect says, look what I did. And then when you give it, get kind of like in the midpoint of your career, you said, look what we did. When you, when you get at the end of your career, you just say, look what was done. Mm-hmm. You see, and that's, that's really where eventually I'd like to get it. It's a, it's an idea that one, another one of these kind of harebrained ideas that I have come up with where I would like to do ego less architecture. Mm-hmm like to do design where they don't see me in it but at the end of the day they see somebody else they yeah they or they see themselves or part of themselves <laughs> not necessarily their own ego but you made that comment before about not getting in the way and you know you go back through what we've just talked about and it's almost like you as the architect dissolves into the creation and it's not seen the creations what's left and that is of the clients of the land first and then of the client's dream and the client's specifics and yeah you've just become a part of you're in the walls you're in this you're in the spirit we're, of it we're really we're just we're part of the cycle of life yeah just in the spirit we of play it, one we get to play go. one part of it but but you know, it's it's, and I like to say we're part of the cycle. Life, it's just not our life; it's somebody else's life. Yeah, absolutely. We get, we get to play a part of the cycle of their life, and that is a profound, sobering process that that you know we we take very seriously because of of all the different pieces that are affected by 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 that work. Yeah. Yeah. I have I I've never written four pages of notes before on a podcast, and I'm at the bottom of my fourth page. Is that a good thing, or did I talk too much? I I think it's an amazing thing. I've even drawn pictures. <laughs> well, you know, I I I I I had this thought the other day that really, what we want to do is just we we want to bring hearts back into the work. We want to bring our hearts into everything that we do. Because when we when we start to move, when we start to speak from the heart, 
mm-hmm. then we really we really start to speak profoundly and we start to speak to the hearts of other people. And that's yeah. where that connection is. Yeah. And that's I think that's going beyond architecture to to make a connection with whoever we're working with, whoever we're with. Uh-huh. If we yeah. if we connect with the heart, then we've connected. Anything else that comes after that's going to be better. I at that heart to heart, you know, it sounds corny. It 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 sounds like you know a, a, a marketing line. The bottom line of it is is that's what we're trying to do with the client and with the land. That's right. We're trying to connect our heart with the land, and then we're trying to connect the client's heart with. We're trying to connect to that as well, but we're trying to connect the client's heart through the land as well. So that we're, we're, we're all springing from the same, I suppose, creation. And, uh, and, right. and that, the very humbling side of A, being invited to come on that journey with a client. So that's one part of it. That's very humbling. Yes, it is. That's, a good, that's a good term. It is a journey. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? And it's, not, and it's not a straight line either. It's a series of, of progressing curves and, and circles. Well, yeah, and also everybody's journey, whilst they have you know massive similarities, everybody's journey is as complex as the human that they are, and it has right. their nuances in it. And you only get that when you go with your heart open and you give them faith to open their heart to the process and them and themselves and to you and to the the space, and right. and and as a you know, designer, we're looking to move the client to that space where they feel comfortable to open all those those pieces of them, and it's a bit like you were saying with the guitar. It's a practice. And you get better at it and better at it and better at it. That's, that's why that's why it's called a practice because it and it's 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 a practice. It's the practice of a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. And 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 you 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 always got something new to learn. We 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 do we do us. We keep trying to look for ways to do the things that we do better. We try try to look for ways to make the houses continually perform better, continually yeah. function better. Continually be, I even hate to say green. I just yeah. think they just perform better. They consume less. They be, they're be healthier for people to live in. It's getting better at the practice of it. It's it's playing that note every day and and finding something a year from now that you, you, just, you just sound better at it. You do it better, but you didn't get there unless you did it every day. Yeah, it's getting, it's like you said earlier, getting to earn your tone. And and tone. and yeah, earn your, earn your tone. And and here it's the same. You're earning your tone. It's just in a different form. And architecture is is you know all these different things. It's all a process of of plugging into the creative spirit. Mm. Because whether whether it's a watercolor, whether it's a sketch, whether it's you know playing an instrument, whatever your instrument is, or or, or designing a building, or or working out a detail in construction, or a a roof detail or something that's going to solve a problem better. It's all being creative and it's all trying to, to make Connect. better the, 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 the life, the, the path that we're on, make mm-hmm. it better for everybody, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. both, both for those people, but then for a greater whole. 
Mm. I totally agree. Absolutely fascinating, fascinating, fascinating chat. I have got so much from it. As I say, I've got a ridiculous amount of notes and lots of little zingers that have come from it, which yeah. we will share. I'm so looking forward to getting back to Texas and coming hanging out. And I want to go to I want to go to that camping spot with the what's it called Enchanted Rock. Enchanted Rock. Yeah, yes. I want to go and see that. Well, I, I will go. You know, I, I did yeah. I did many years of Boy Scouts. My son's about to start his Eagle Scout project, but we you know I would do all the summer camps with him. So we travel uh-huh. out somewhere in the country, and I, I'd live in a tent for a week with all the other dads, and they do their thing. And you know, we just we, I figured out how to camp comfortably. Uh huh. Uh, but you know there was a it, it took a little while but but I, you know I love it so if you ever come back down here we'll we'll try I'll be to back. Uh, I'll be back figure it out. yeah I'll be back I'll let you know I'll definitely be back probably if not later this year I'll be back in March I'll be back for the Texas Society of Architects and I will come to Texas regardless of where the conference is well you ought to you ought to remember about the custom residential architects network the CRAN convention yeah, so. yeah. And and I think in October in Salt Lake City this year. That's okay. that's that's one of the other ones I go to. It's, it has very much the same vibe, the same camaraderie of of it's it's just re, it's just residential architects from all over the country. Yeah, cool. for, for three days and it's two or three hundred people. And it has a lot of the same feel as the, the Texas Society of Architects symposium that we went on together. Uh-huh. Much the same format. Mm. Which which I, you know, I like the big I like the big conferences too, but I, I like these oh, brand yeah, I like meetings. I, I've I've developed relationships across the country that's for many years now that's that's still these these people, many of these folks have become great trusted friends for me. And yeah. I, it would have never happened had I not attended these conferences. Yeah. Like-minded people sharing sharing like-minded things. Like-minded you know? things, yeah. Like small things that are profound. Small things that are profound. Um, Alan, thank you, thank you, thank you. I look forward to our next conversation, and we will be in touch soon. Thank you so much Good. for your time thank, today. Thank you for this. Thank you for this opportunity. It was an it was an honor and a blessing. Thank you. Thank you. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, If it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? 
and see if they follow you, see if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.